All right, let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, my dear brother from another mother, we have Ben Jealous, who was the youngest person to serve as the national president and CEO, the NAACP. He has a new book, his book, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free. A scholar, a lecturer, an individual who has significant insight, Ben Jealous. Good day, dear brother, welcome. Hey, Dr. Richards, good to be with you, sir. Always good to be with you, my friend. Uh, first, let's talk about this book. What does this book say and what message is it supposed to push? The message I want everybody to walk away with is that we can actually build a nation beyond racism. That we should be optimistic about the future of this country. It'll take hard work, but we can get this country to that better day that Dr. King saw and frankly that Frederick Douglass saw before him. You know, you taught me something a while ago, man, and you and I chopped, chopped it up. And you said, you know, there's an aggression factor. And we were contextualizing it through the industry of policing. Yeah. And you said, if a person has an aggression factor of, let's say, nine out of a 10 point scale, uh, but they have a racist factor of, let's say, um, you know, um, maybe five or four. The aggression factor will lead that individual typically to an adverse interaction with the civilian. But if it's the other way around, if they have a racism factor of, let's say, nine, but an aggression factor of two, typically you will not see an expression of violence against the civilian. You taught me that, and those numbers actually pan out. Um, I was fascinated by that because I do realize the context in which it's presented. And it taught me something new about the dynamics of race and culture and how it interplays in uh, you know, certain industries like policing. You have a very hopeful point of view. Uh, and I'm hopeful too, my dear brother, I may not be as as enthusiastic as you are and believing in the powers that be. But I am a hopeful guy. I would prefer to draw circles being rather than draw lines. And that has been your leadership style since day one. So let's talk about the realities of our bias and prejudice, the dysfunctions in our societal construct. How do we fix them, brother? We have to understand how things were when they started and what that says about where we're headed. I was taught politics 101 by Charles V. Hamilton. He was the co-author of Black Power. Yep. And he was also the first tenured black political scientist at Columbia University. And he would say something that my grandma, my grandma very much is the inspiration for this book. The quixotic title comes from something that she used to say. But he said something that I'd only heard my grandmother say before him, which was never forget before there were slave rebellions, there were colonial rebellions. Mm. And, and what he was talking about was that in the beginning, like in the 1600s in Virginia, when you saw rebellions against the colonial government, it was European indentured servants and African enslaved people rising up together. And the question is, um, 
you know, how did that stop, if you will? Why did it stop? The answer is, well, the first they tried the military and they didn't quite stop the rebellions. And then they tried new laws about race and differentiating the two groups, didn't quite stop the rebellions. All through that period, by the way, slaves were categorized as people, even in the slave roles. But then in the early 1700s, something shifts. The definition of the word race shifts, and it goes from meaning tribe to, to being the pseudoscientific theory that there are multiple human races. That's why people like me are called mulattoes, but you know, mules can't have kids, but I got two. Right? <laughs> <I think. laughs> and, and, um, uh, and so, in other words, when when the military and new laws didn't work, they reached for the culture and they tried to change the culture and create this notion that our people were subhuman and therefore poor white folks should just stay away from us. We didn't want to be associated with us and our subhuman selves. Well, that worked better to split the two groups. The but why is that important? Because Charles Hamilton would say, man, politics is a lot like physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And something in motion will return to its original state. And what he was trying to teach us was that where a country is ultimately headed is back towards rebellions, if you will, towards a politics in which the welfare of everybody's children is more important than our colors. And, and that's what was happening in the beginning. Those rebellions were fundamentally about uh, indentured servants and African enslaved people's fears about what was going to happen to their children. Uh, and they came together across those lines in the interest of all their kids. Let's talk about your grandmother. Um, you highlight your grandmother being uh, a remarkable influence. Tell me how those lessons contributed to the Right Now book we're discussing. Well, you know, she, she was dying chronologically, brother. She was 103. I knew she wasn't going to mm. live forever. And so I needed to get her stories down and I needed to sort through the mysteries she was leaving us. And the big one was, she kept saying, never forget our people were always free. And well, three of her grandparents were born into slavery. And the fourth one, according to her own sister, was likely a rapist. So it was like, what, who was free, Grandma, the rapist? You know, and, um, and so we interrogated it. Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. at Harvard helped me out. It took him two years with my DNA. And what we figured out, brother, was that our female Kunta Kente, the first woman to come over on the maternal line from Africa was an, a woman who had been a pirate in Madagascar. How we figure that all out is in the book, but that's the bottom line. And, and what else would a pirate woman say to her children and grandchildren born into slavery, but never forget our people were always free. And while as that passed down the, the line, people forgot her, they forgot where we were from, they forgot even when those words made sense. Those words inspired a sense of rebellion amongst the women in my family. And they kept repeating it because they knew how it made them feel. And it knew how it changed their children's perception of what the destiny of our people needed to be. Mm. Uh, and so with the help of psychologists and historians, I figured that all out. Um, but that's that's where the title came from. And that's the way that grandma really you know, kind of got me going with this book, was giving me something I just couldn't understand, but I had to figure out. You know, you highlight the reality of structural racism. Uh, and a lot of our fight is to deconstruct the construction that has created destruction in our structural reality. And in the midst of that, critical race theory comes into play. What you're talking about is a deconstruction model, right? Critical race theory literally tells us that race is a created construct. 
And that created construct has real social outcome. Um, and you are basically showing without saying CRT, which has become a negative somehow, I don't know. But you are showing the reality of our human dynamic and the connections of our human dynamic. And to get back to that overall connection, you have to be intentional about the deconstruction of these patterns, these social influences and these norms we have accepted as reality. We have to actively fight against those in order to get back to the human dynamic. Is that a proper proclamation? Absolutely. I. I think storytelling is always the most effective way to communicate. And so I use stories. You know, the um, you and I are both orators and rhetoricians. We use the word, yes. you know, we use the words precisely. Let's just agree that critical race theory is like the Neapolitan ice cream of scary words. Like <laughs> critical race theory all scare people for different reasons. You put them all together, it's not hard to imagine why the right wing might be able to do something. But the intention of people like Derek Bell or Andrew Hacker over the years was just to get us to stop for a second and think about what is this game that we're all a part of and how what might we improve it and therefore improve the outcomes for everybody. And, and that's what my grandma would do with her stories. She would tell you stories go all around Robin Hood's barn. But when they got back, you had been transformed by that story. And that's what mm. I hope to do for people with this book. So amazing, dear brother. Your books are always remarkable. You write some of the most thought provoking books, thought provoking uh, quotes of anyone alive, dear brother. I have so much respect for you, my friend. Very thankful for how intentional you are. Never forget our people were always free. How can they get the book now? Please go to your local independent bookstore, go on amazon.com, whichever easiest for you, please download it. And I read the audible, so if you prefer that. You can hear me read it to you. Always a pleasure, dear brother. Look forward to having you back on the show. All right, appreciate you, Dr. Richard.